0: Tonight's scripture will be taken from John chapter 12, verses 20 through 22. Again, that's John chapter 12, verses 20 through 22. And it reads, Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. Thank you, Dusty, for reading our scripture tonight. We're going to be looking, as he mentioned a moment ago, at John chapter 12. Before we do that, we are grateful for your presence tonight. I know it's a messy night outside, but we're glad that you're here. If you're visiting, we always welcome you here. Love to have you come back and be with us if you're looking for a church home. As always, we invite you to consider the work here. I feel for Billy leading singing, and look, it's a tough job, and I would not want to lead singing. As a matter of fact, it made me think, a couple of weeks ago at the nursing home, I don't know why I go to the nursing home, because every time I do, I always have to lead a song. And I was reminded of how bad I am as a leader that night, because Harley was there, I led a song, and she was talking about me leading the song, and she said, and it was awful. I thought she might say something flattering, like, you know, he really started it, you know, had a good pitch or whatever. It was awful. So, I'm just saying, don't look to me as a song leader. We appreciate your presence tonight. We're going to be talking about the deity of Christ. In John chapter 12, the passage that was read a moment ago, John said there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. And they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee. And they asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn Andrew and Philip told Jesus. Our goal every week is to present Jesus. That is, to tell people... To tell those of us who are present about the Son of God who came and lived and died for our sins. And there's something unique about Jesus. He stands apart from any and everyone that has ever lived. And what makes Him so so unique is the fact that He is deity. And so tonight we're going to be talking about the deity of Christ. And there are some things that I want to share with you that relate to the deity of Christ. And I would appreciate you considering these facts about Jesus and so tonight we think about what the Bible has to say about the deity of Christ I do want to mention very quickly that we've got a large contingency of young folks here and every week they're here Sunday morning, Sunday night and I really appreciate their presence I really think that they set a great example, I say this from time to time but I really mean it, they set a tremendous example for those of us who are older, there are some older folks that ought to take heed to their example because they're here all the time. And I appreciate that. And I know the elders appreciate it. And I appreciate their parents as well. So tonight we think about the deity of Christ. I want to begin our study tonight by emphasizing the fact that the attributes of Jesus declare his deity. There are some attributes that are spoken of in Scripture that ought to remind us that the one we're talking about is the Son of God. First, I think about His pre-existence. The fact that Jesus has always existed. That can't be said of any other human being. Now the Bible talks about Jesus coming to earth and living among men. As a matter of fact, John said in John 1 verse 14, that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. glorious of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is preexistent. The idea is He is eternal. He has always existed. And He will always exist. In John chapter 1 and verse 1, John said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. In Micah chapter 5 at verse 2, Micah in the long ago pinpointed the exact place that Jesus would be born, in Bethlehem of Judea. And Micah said, whose goings forth are from of old, even from everlasting. In other words, from the days of eternity. So the one we're talking about has always existed. And that's what sets him apart Then there is another thing that comes to mind, and that has to do with his preeminence. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul said that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. In verse 18, he said that Jesus is the head of the church. That is, he is the head of the church, which is the body, which is the beginning. And then in that verse... He said that in all things he might have the preeminence. The Lord Jesus Christ is above all. He is over all. He is preeminent. We talk about his superiority. There's a third thing that comes to mind as I think about his attributes. And that has to do with his power. First, his power in creation. John said, speaking of Jesus in chapter 1. In verse 3, all things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus Christ was the agent by which the world was made. I don't know of any human being that can lay claim to that. But Jesus can. And that's what really underscores his deity. The fact that he has that kind of divine power. Jesus, the son of God, was... The agent by whom the world was brought into existence. Now in Colossians chapter 1, the apostle Paul said that by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are on earth. Visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or principalities or powers, all things were made by him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things consist. Not only is Jesus the creator, but he is the sustainer of the universe. Again, underscoring his great power. The Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 that Jesus upholds all things by the word of his power. Look at the balance and symmetry and harmony of our universe. That doesn't happen by accident. But rather it is the product of an almighty God. And then I think about his work among creation. Again, we talk about what what sets Jesus apart from the human family. What makes him different? Why is he deity? Well, his work among creation. John said in chapter 20 many of the signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But he said, these things are written for a purpose. What was that purpose? That you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. There are seven signs or miracles recorded by John in his gospel. Each and every sign underscores the deity of Christ. In chapter 2, the very first sign or miracle that the Lord Jesus Christ performed. The Bible tells us that he turned water into wine at a marriage feast in Cana of Galilee. And John said, it manifested forth his glory. And then I think about the fact that the Bible tells us that Jesus walked on water in chapter 6, underscoring his superiority, his power over nature. In chapter 9, Jesus gave sight to a man that had been born blind. And that's just one of the many miracles that he performed by way of healing the sick, the lame. Those that had disease and other discomforts of the body. Demonstrating his power over illness and disease. And then chapter 11, he demonstrated his power over death by raising Lazarus from the dead. And so the attributes of Jesus, his preexistence, his preeminence, and his power. And then what about the admission of and about Jesus Does that not declare his deity, the fact that Jesus claimed to be deity? And that there were many around him that also acknowledged his deity? Let me just begin by first of all talking about the claims of Jesus himself. In John chapter 4, you remember Jesus had a conversation with a woman at Jacob's well. And the Bible tells us that during the course of their conversation, she said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When he comes, he'll tell us all things plainly. And Jesus said, I am the one you're talking to. I am the Messiah, in verse 26. On very few occasions did Jesus acknowledge the fact that he was the Messiah, the Son of God. But on this occasion, he did. And then, I think about chapter 9. I mentioned a moment ago when Jesus gave sight to a man that had been born blind. At the latter part, In the latter part of the chapter, Jesus is said to have asked this man, Do you believe in the Son of God? And his response was, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said, I who speak to you am he. And he said, Lord, I believe. And the Bible says he worshiped him. Again, underscoring his deity. Now, Jesus was not a fraud. But rather, he was exactly who he claimed to be. The Son of God, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Christ. What about the testimony of the Father? You remember in John chapter 5, Jesus would say during his earthly ministry, The very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. All the great miracles, His message. Didn't that authenticate the claims? In Matthew chapter 3, we read of Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. And Matthew said that a voice came forth from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Who was that speaking? God the Father. In Matthew chapter 17 when Jesus was transfigured on the the mountaintop in the presence of Peter, James, and John the Bible says that a voice came forth from heaven and said this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased and then he said hear him. Accentuating the fact that Jesus was the son of God. He is the son of God. And then there was the testimony of John the Baptist himself. John the Baptist, of course, had the privilege of baptizing Jesus in the River Jordan. And he said, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, abiding on Him. In John 1, verse 34, John the Baptist said, I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. So you have the testimony of Jesus, the testimony of the Father. And John the Baptist, who was, by the way, the forerunner of the Christ, the one who was to prepare the way, the hearts and minds of people, to be receptive of the Christ. And then there's the testimony of the Apostle Peter. Peter obviously made a number of blunders in his life, said and did things without thinking them through. But one thing he got right in Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus asked the question, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, some are saying you're John the Baptist. Some, Elijah. Others are saying you're Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Jesus then asked the question, but who do you say that I am? You know what Simon Peter said? He said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood is not revealed unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. Again, testimony from the Father. But the Apostle Peter testified, acknowledged that Jesus was the son of God. In John chapter 6, you remember Jesus identified himself as the bread of life. And there are some seven I am statements in the gospel of John. And in John chapter 6, when Jesus identified himself as the bread of life, many of those on that occasion went back and walked no more with him. The Lord Jesus then asked the question, will you also go away? And Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? For we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So over and over again you have this abundance of testimony. And then there's the testimony of Thomas. Sometimes we call him Doubting Thomas. Thomas was not present when the Lord had appeared following his resurrection. Thomas said that he would not believe unless he saw the evidence. And I think it's Maybe worth pointing out. The Lord doesn't expect us to believe without examining the evidence. The evidence is plain, it's clear, it's concise. The question is, after weighing the evidence, what do we conclude? Thomas said, I won't believe unless I can see the print of the nails in his hand and put my hand into his side. So the Lord Jesus appears and he said, Thomas examine the evidence you know what Thomas said my lord and my god now that's that's an unbiased statement weighed the evidence and concluded that jesus was the resurrected christ and then there is the testimony of the scriptures how much weight do you put in what god's word says Did you know that the Old Testament scriptures pointed to the coming of Christ? For example, in Luke chapter 24, prior to ascending to heaven, Jesus said to the apostles, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things that were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. That is, everything that had been written about him had to be fulfilled. Now, let me just ask you to turn with me very quickly to John chapter 5. I want you to see something. I want you to listen to what Jesus said to the Jews of his day about the Old Testament scriptures. In verse 39, Jesus said, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. Now listen to what he said, these are they which testify of me. Going all the way back to the law of Moses, beginning in the book of Genesis, God bore witness of the coming of the Son of God. In verse 40, he said, but you're not willing to come to me that you may have life. Now, they revered Moses. They believed Moses to be a great and mighty leader among the children of Israel, and he was. So in verse 46, listen to what Jesus said. If you believe Moses... You would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you did not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Every single solitary word that was penned about Jesus in the Old Testament was documentation that the Messiah is coming. You remember what the woman at the well said, the Samaritan woman? She believed in the coming of the Messiah. She said, I know that when the Messiah comes, who's called the Christ, he'll tell us all things. They were looking for the Messiah. They were looking for the Son of God. The scriptures were documenting time and time and time again. You could begin in Genesis and talk about the promised seed. You can go to the book of Exodus and you talk about the Passover lamb. And Jesus is the Passover lamb. In Deuteronomy, Moses talked about that prophet that God would raise up in Deuteronomy chapter 18. And then in the book of 2 Samuel The prophet would speak of the Christ who would sit on the throne of David. Isaiah would talk about the virgin birth in chapter 7 verse 14. In chapter 9 he would identify him as wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, the prince of peace. In chapter 53 the suffering servant. In the book of Zechariah it would be through Jesus that a fountain would be opened for sin and uncleanness. All of these prophets, all of these writers pointing in the direction of Christ. And so when Jesus, when the announcement was made about the Christ to come and then following his birth, documentation in Matthew chapter 2. As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 1, Matthew records what Isaiah said about the virgin birth. He identified Jesus as Emmanuel, God with us. That's what the scriptures had to say about the coming of the Son of God. And then thirdly, what about the abilities of Jesus? Do they not declare his deity? Think for a minute about how Jesus and Jesus alone has the power to save. Only the Son of God can save. Here's what Jesus said in John chapter 14 verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Luke said, Neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The Hebrew writer said in chapter 7, verse 25, that Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God by or through Him. Think about that for a minute. We come every first day of the week. We meet together in the middle of the week. We talk about Jesus, we read about Jesus, we think about Jesus, we turn to him for salvation. Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 10 that salvation is in Christ Jesus. There are a lot of folks in our world today that need to be saved. They need salvation. And the Lord Jesus Christ invites people to turn to him. The one who has the ability to save us also has the same ability to secure us in him. The world in which we live is not a secure place, is it? A lot of insecurities, a lot of problems, a lot of troubles and trials. And yet to know that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, can strengthen, that he will support us. When Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, he said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When Paul penned those words, he was in prison. Paul would later be beheaded about six years later at the hands of Nero Caesar. Paul had faced many trials and difficulties in his life. Some of his own brethren had turned their back on him. And yet he understood that the Lord strengthens, the Lord supports, the Lord stands by his people. The Lord has that ability, doesn't he? And to think that the Bible tells us that Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us, that he is our mediator, that he is our advocate, that when I stumble and fall, in a life that is filled with insecurity and trial, temptation, that the Lord Jesus can give me the security that I need to know that all is well with my soul. A lot of times in the church, people wonder about their salvation. They worry about their relationship with the Lord. And there are folks that have been in the church many, many years, and they question whether or not they're In a right relationship with the Lord. And yet the Bible gives us assurance, doesn't it? You know, John said in 1 John chapter 1 if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of his son Jesus cleanses us from all sin. God knows we're not perfect. When we stumble and fall, John said we have an advocate Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is literally pleading our case before the bar of heaven. The basis upon which we stand cleansed from all sin is his blood. And so John could say in 1 John 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let me ask you a question. Do you know anybody... That has the qualities of Jesus. I don't know of anybody. I don't know of anybody that has the ability to save, to secure, to strengthen, to support. I don't know anybody like that who has all of those great qualities wrapped up in one person. The Lord Jesus does. So tonight I would ask you do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe that Jesus came, lived, and died on Calvary's cross? If you believe Jesus to be the Son of God and you've never obeyed the gospel, I would encourage you to turn to Christ tonight. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, Today's the day of salvation. It might be the case that you're here tonight and you're not a child of God. What would you need to do? Well, the Bible is very plain, forthright. The Bible says, except you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you'll die in your sins, John 8, 24. Why not put your faith in Christ? Repent of every sin, as Jesus talked about in Luke chapter 13. Confess the name of Christ before others, Matthew chapter 10, verse 32. And then be immersed in water so that all your sins can be washed away. Let me tell you what, if you'll do that, God will save you. God will put you in his body, the church. It's in that divine body that you have What we call, well, the hope of eternal life. Because you see in Ephesians 5.23, the the Bible says that Jesus is the Savior of the body. And So if you're in that divine body, you're well on your way to heaven. And then there is exhortation to be faithful until death. Revelation chapter 2 at verse 10. Might be that you're here tonight and you're not faithful to the Lord. You need to come home. We'd love to pray with you and for you. We believe that God will forgive you. I mentioned a moment ago, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. John said, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Won't you come as we stand and sing?